Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome to the Jewel Network. The Jewel Network is a radio frequency of continuous streaming knowledge and wisdom which promotes and sustains the activation of the present evolutionary process of immortality and the unfolding of the God Self within the evolving planetary society presently on planet Earth. The Jewel Network is committed to teaching the sciences of life and the science of living. By cultivating the mind of a scientist, you will be able to extract the very best the current century has to offer. You are listening to the Melanology Hour with your host, microbiologist, preventative medicine and hygiene physician, Dr. Jewel Pilgrim, MD, and biomedical researcher, physiological psychologist, and professor, Dr. Timothy Owens-Moore. Hour. I'm your host, Dr. Jewel, and our co-host, Dr. T. Owens Moore. We here tonight. Yes. Welcome to you. <laughs> Melanology mm-hmm. Hour. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Moore. How are you? Oh, I'm doing quite well. Nice to hear your voice and Brother Maurice there, and uh, nice to be back with the family. Oh, wonderful. Well, we are too. So, everyone, this is our Melanology Wednesday. That's right, the uh, last Wednesday of the month, and so we're here to discuss that very vital, important, and necessary biopolymer for life, melanin. And so we have a very interesting subject to talk about today. We're going to talk about, again, pigments in their various uh, states of existence. Uh, And I, I think it's very interesting, Dr. Moore, that they just refuse to use the term melanin. Every other word is used to describe these fabulous colors and changes, which is the electromagnetic spectrum, but we still have a real bias on this, and we're going to talk about this tonight. So, again, the universal solvent, your water, your pad and pencil. We'll be right back after this message, and the next voice you will hear will be Dr. Moore. We'll be right back. Would you like to be smarter? More at peace in your life? Are you searching for a greater spiritual connection? All of this and much more can be yours by enrolling in Dr. Jewel's balancing program. Many participants feel effects from day one, and in no time you can enjoy the physiological effects equal to eight hours of meditation in as little as 15 minutes a day. To learn more and sign up for Dr. Jewel's balancing program, please visit our website, www.thejewelnetwork.net. more. Yes, I'm here. Yes. Well, you know, we've been uh, kind of talking behind the scenes here, again, about uh, melanin and how um, the research has been done to, uh, again, discuss and to describe how 
melanin is presenting itself in the form of uh, colors and pigments of feathers and uh, hide, fur, etc. Uh, but the terms are not used as uh, pigments. They're called chromatics and a lot of other things. So um, there's been a whole def definition where they are now referring to pigments in objects as opposed to pigments in biological systems. And so I thought it would be very interesting since you're the master of this to really tell us more about their difference in the um, pigment in a feather that makes it turquoise and blue as opposed to the melanin biopolymer, which in humans can range from, you know, pink to navy blue mm -hmm. black. Right. Well, I'd like to really just focus as we begin this discussion on Mother Nature. You know, the beauty of this mothers and how they take care of and, you know, uh, harmonize the beauty of everything that exists on the planet. You know, without that mother nature, you really don't have anything that exists. So mother nature created this color that exists in our, you know, evolutionary experience. So colors are, you know, they're not really by accident. You know, from the very beginning of development, dark matter that's in the universe, you know, this darkness, out of everything came darkness. You know, darkness absorbs. So what it's absorbing is radiation that's out there in the environment, ultraviolet radiation, creating what different images or different vibrations, different scenes, different feelings. So when you think about it on the level of the skin, the skin, you know, it is pretty much the first, uh, you know, sense to the first kind of like organ to evolve to keep us in tune with the environment. So all senses evolve from the tactile function of the skin. Let's break that down. The skin is like the covering of your body, but it's actually a large organ, and it's actually the largest organ of the body. So to have the pigment in the skin keeps you in tune with the ultraviolet energy that exists in the environment. So it was such a beautiful day here in the wilderness where I'm living. The sun was shining all day past few days, I guess, rain, and I guess there in the Atlanta area where you may be, there's a lot of rain and cloud cover, and it changes your whole attitude. As soon as that sun shines and that, that energy is emitted, your body is attracted to that. So there's an article that we were going to discuss called Color from Structure, dealing with the reality that now scientists are finding ways to synthetically alter the way that we respond to light. Now, if you're talking about a scientist synthetically trying to create something like photonics to manipulate light so you get a different image, imagine your body and the level of melanin in your body and what's going on when light hits your body and your mind changes, your consciousness changes. So a lack of it also can what cause a change in your consciousness and in your thinking. On, on the on the synthetic level, uh, I don't have it, but this thing called Blu-ray technology, are you right. familiar with it? Yes, I don't have it either. So evidently it's a new way to uh, look at images and see different colors and it's dealing with yes. communication. So they've used Blu-ray as a way to now look at images and manipulate that. I think yeah, that's maybe well, they're using ultraviolet blue frequency, 
and you know there's seven sub frequencies in uh, ultraviolet blue also seven different modest variations of that major wavelength. Mm-hmm. Well, I just find it find it fascinating because if you can think of it and manipulate it on a level of you know transistors and uh, I can say mechanical apparatus. Well, think about your body and what goes on with the changes that go on with light, and we sometimes don't pay attention to our feelings as a result of light changing. You know, you, you have when you listen to the radio on Saturdays, you got the blue lights in the basement house parties. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. You know, red light is usually associated with uh, sexual energy. I wonder why. So those different levels of energy that are emitted outside, now people are studying it on the synthetic level and creating things to uh, pretty much manipulate the flow of light through color. I think that's powerful. Well, so from the very I beginning, Mother Nature, like I said, it, Mother Nature knew what it was doing. So now we're trying to follow Mother Nature. Right. Well, I think that it's what's so significant here also that finally they're um, speaking and referencing to is the fact here that um, they're noticing that pigments and dyes based on their uh, chemical content will reflect uh, specific wavelengths of the electromagnetic spectrum which gives it the color that we see with the eye, but also, too, they're noticing that the geometry of the matter based on the geometric uh, architecture will also selectively only reflect certain wavelengths of light. So they're they're learning that uh, certain geometric uh, formations, and, you know, that's very significant to us uh, we are using geometry to stimulate neuronal growth and integration in uh, humans that uh, now they're noticing that geometry does play a significant role in also determining color, regardless of what the molecular chemistry may be. Yeah, so, and you uh, talked about the sacred geometry for a long time, and, you know, Swallow de Lubex, Renee, um, Lubex, they, they looked at this the Egyptian um, symbolism and how geometry was certainly was important, and we know that certainly through the pyramids, but when you take it to now I'm looking at the level of the cells, you know, the cells of a, a let's say, a biological agent, those cell walls have cellulose microfibrils that are like stacked in a helix structure. The last time we met and talked over the Airways on Melanology Hour, we were talking about graphene and right. nanostructured uh, molecule that has a certain hexagonal shape. Guess what? The same shapes are in biological elements. Exactly. Well, I, I think it's uh, very interesting. I, I don't know what we're going to do as far as helping uh, our community of scientists finally come together and be able to... Uh, put this together to make one picture, but I'm very clear that the picture that I'm seeing that brings all this together is quite interesting. You know, you've also done a lot of work on the uh, microtubules and microfibers. Mm-hmm. And we know for a fact that it's the microtubules and the microfibrils that are responsible for causing the cell 
to take on their specific shape. Absolutely so correct. What I'm seeing and what I think is so interesting is um, we don't have three-dimensional and fourth-dimensional microscopy yet. But uh, finally, when we put our little neurons together and create that, we'll be able to see that we've lost a lot of the comprehension of how cells really live on a moment-to-moment basis because we always took them and dyed them and then made them uh, one-dimensional, you know, and, and hoped that we could cut them thin enough that the light would penetrate so we could look through them. We've never thought about the fact that these microtubules are very much responsible for taking the cell through an entire morphic fractal lifestyle where every moment the cell is changing its shape. So it actually is literally dancing. So as the microfibers contract and expand, the cell is actually changing its geometric shape and structure relative to the function that it has to perform. Now, some some writers are also saying that this uh, contraction and expansion or lengthening of the microfibrils, the microtubules, allow the organelles in the cell to access the DNA so that certain uh, genes and alleles can be accessed, activated, or shut down relative to the new directives that are coming through from the uh, bloodstream as well as the neuropeptides that are being absorbed. From mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah, so therefore they are interacting to change the shape to assist the organelles in being able to adapt and to function relative to the information that is elicited from the nucleus of the cell, the DNA. And I thought that was really interesting that there's a whole dance going on. So, you know, I'm I'm really kind of wondering, do we really know in uh, finality what colors really are and what are the dominant colors, because those colors may not even be able to be really seen uh, because if the flat refractions and reflections, I should say, of the electromagnetic spectrum as the geometry of the cell is changing, that we can begin, if we could finally move into a third, fourth dimensional um, biological system and observe it, be able to really identify colors and shapes that may be pathologic or may be the ones that are uh, wholesome and healthy. But uh, we're still quite fragmented here, and again, not giving the melanin biopolymer its full recognition that it is the electromagnetic spectrum moving through a biological system. Yeah, basically our, our whole cellular makeup is photoactivated, you know. Right. But to break it down for our audience who may not be as scientifically, uh, you know, astute as we have, dealing with the whole enterprise of this Western medicine system, but we know we have a simple cell that makes our brain cell. It's called a neuron. A neuron has a cytoskeleton. When we say cyto, speaking about cells, skeleton, everybody knows what a skeleton is. As you sit there in your chair or lie in your bed, you sit around, your bones are what give you a body what structure. So you now have a cytoskeleton within the cells. And the way that the neuron as the brain cell is developed 
There's one part of it called a dendrite, which receives information. One part called an, one part called an axon that sends and transmits information. Well, those arms of the dendrite that are receiving, those arms of the axon that are sending, they must have some way to mm, be able to be guided to another cell. And as you said about uh, the issue of the microtubule system, it's inside those, particularly the axons, to help guide that neuron to connect to another neuron. What making a neural circuitry in your brain. So melanin can serve as that photoactive molecule to ensure that there's what activation going on in that cell. Anything that's light without color is not going to transmit energy. It's going to reflect it. So that's why then the darkness within the cells becomes key and critical as it works on photoactivation to make sure those cells are what? Connecting to other cells and making memories, making lasting uh, behaviors that exist within us. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing. I'm sitting here as you're, you're talking, and I'm thinking about um, what kind of um, technology could be devised where we could actually see and observe how these cells are continuously changing shape. They just don't keep one particular shape, and uh, as they go through their biological metamorphosis process. Yeah, um, yeah there's, there's a um, there's a book called Synaptic Self by Joseph Ledoux. And he talks about that whole reality of, you know, everything that we learn, our brain going through changes as we're learning it. People who are listening to this melanology program right now, and the moment that you hear something new that you never heard, like maybe say the word ubiquitous. Ubiquitous, what's that? So if we say it's something that's a wide range of effects that something has. It's wide, it's spread out, it's broad. So now that person just remember, just memorize that. Well, your brain has changed to what makes that stick in your brain. So we are constantly going through changes. That's what the synaptic self is all about. The synapse is actually the space between the cells as they're uh, kind of connecting and communicating with one another for the audience that never knew what a, heard what a synapse is. So as our synapses alter and change, guess what? Our minds change. Uh, springtime is coming. You may see landscapers that are now out there cutting the branches and cutting the stems of certain trees and well, why are they doing it? They're pruning the trees. They're pruning so then they grow up and blossom much better than they did past years. Same thing happens in our brain. Our brains are pruned. We can't remember everything, but our neurons are pruned to what make a lasting memory, make it so that we have some powerful images. And again, thinking about melanin in the brain, those places where melanin is in the brain, you have neurochemicals that are being released. The locus sororius, you got norepinephrine. In the raffae nucleus, serotonin. In the substantia nigra, dopamine. So these areas that are highly melanated have a heavy dose of chemicals that are being transmitted for our brain to function properly. Right. Well, on that, let us take a uh, break to our station ID and from our sponsors, and then I want us to come back, Dr. Moore, and I think that I finally figured out what creates iridescent. How about that? We'll be right back after this minute. From Jewel Publications, Straight from the Heart by Dr. Jewel Pukram, an incredible volume of work 
Dr. Jewell explores the genesis of disease, prostate health, and sexuality, as well as sharing a new look at the effects emotions play in the resolution of cancer. Straight from the Heart is an outpouring of wisdom that you will read over again. Get your paperback or ebook copy today. Well, greetings. If you've just tuned in, welcome to the Melanology Hour. I'm your host, Dr. Jewel, and our co-host, Dr. T. Owens Moore, is here with us. And again, we've been talking about pigness and color relative to the melanin biopolymer. So, as I said, Dr. Moore, it's interesting, and, and we now are recognizing that geometry or the shape of the cell also contributes to its color. And so it appears here, uh, what's being written is that the pigment in the cell reflects particular colors, but when the cell takes on a geometric configuration or the surface of the cell has geometry in the membrane, that also causes a uh, refraction further of the electromagnetic spectrum, and so we get an underlying pigment, and then we get the multiple array of other wavelengths of light that give us this sensation to the eye of iridescence. So geometry plus pigment can create uh, just an array of different colors, including iridescence. Now, I think right. I need to uh, recognize that this is very much so, and we've been able to capture this microscopically in plants, because one of the things that was noticed about the lotus, everyone, is that the lotus is such a clean plant. And so it was, it was recognized by the um, microscop- micro- microscopic uh, microscopy technicians that they didn't have to do a lot of preparation to uh, prepare the lotus leaves as well as the lotus petals to make slides, microscopic slides. And they decided they would look closer at why they didn't have to do a lot of uh, preparation. And what they discovered is that the leaf surface, the cells actually are pyramidal shaped, that the cells that form the lotus petals as well as the lotus leaves are shaped like little pyramids. Mm-hmm. And so therefore they have less surface area for debris to adhere to the surface. And so any moisture or any type of uh, movement in the air knocks off any debris that may temporarily adhere to the surface. So this is why the plants are almost the lotus is auto-cleansing because of that. So I thought that was really significant in that, you know, the lotus actually starts in mud, you know, very sticky matter and has the capacity to move through that mud, through the water, and then up to the surface of the pond and maintain its cleanliness because of this pyramidal shape that forms the surface of the petals and the flowers. And they even took this to a new level where they begin to mimic this uh, lotus leaf surface 
on automobiles or mm-hmm. any type of uh, large object that did not did not want to require high maintenance as well as did not want to reflect high refraction of the light. So therefore, many of these dealt uh, vehicles as well as I'm sure many military uh, technology, they use a pyramid-type substance in the paint so that when the paint is sprayed on, it takes on this um, muted uh, hue, and they don't need cleaning, but they don't reflect uh, light very well, and so therefore at nighttime you can't see them. Even if the headlights pass over the object, it won't reflect the light back because of this scattering of the light rays when a beam of light hits it because of all of the uh, pyramidal granules that break down the light and cause a scatter. So it cleans itself, title cleansing, and it doesn't uh, reflect back the light, so it's very difficult to see. But I thought that was very interesting that that technology originated from uh, observing the microscopic geometric shape of the cells of the lotus blossom and the lotus leaf. Mm-hmm. So have you, you've been to Africa and Kemet, so you've seen lotuses actually do their thing? Yeah. Well, it's mm-hmm. interesting because um, they have a really beautiful exhibit of the original uh, stellate lotuses, and those are rare. These are the ones that actually look like a star, multiple peak star, and they have a... Mm-hmm. a um, a beautiful lavender to purple hue on the, the spikes, okay? And they have a large pond of them in front of the um, Museum of Antiquities in Cairo. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. very, very different. But, you know, they don't, they don't, they have to grow in water that's semi-stagnant, so they don't grow in fresh water. They yeah, grow in the black swamp. That's why it's so deep. <laughs> Exactly. And, and you know, swamp is swamp, so it has a lot of debris in it, but the lotus is perfect, clean, and bright because of this uh, pyramidal shaped cells that don't allow debris to adhere to the surface. Mm-hmm. Well, I just find it dynamic how it's so responsive to the environment. You know, at nighttime it goes down into the water, and then at night, I mean, daytime with the sunshine, it comes back up and blossoms. And just right. for to see a a live, you know, flower plant respond to the universe like that. Imagine what we're doing or not paying attention to what we should be doing. You know, that's what I'm saying. The skin becomes a very uh, important element that is the base of all our receptions. Uh, I played uh, tennis today and had a good time. And uh, you ever been on a, somewhere where you had a ball and if you threw the ball up and you close your eyes and wonder where the ball's on the it could hit you on the head, right? Okay. <laughs> it could hit you, but it may not, right? But it's almost yeah. like you can feel the ball coming down. Okay. You know how sometimes in nighttime you can be walking, you can close your eyes and walk around your house, home, or you may be, and you know certain things in certain places, even with your eyes closed, because your skin is like a tactile sense, but it's now connected more plain, making you feel connected to the universe. So if you look at other senses, let's say hearing, 
the hearing mechanism, you know, responds to vibrations. Vibrations make this mechanism in your ear uh, kind of vibrate and then cause something deep in your ear called the inner ear to move and then there's something called hair cells deep in your ear and those hair cells must vibrate. Hair cells are like, like hair on your skin. You know, like responsive to almost like touch. So, you know, vibrations on the outside of your body can be felt or vibrations are needed for that ear mechanism, ear mechanism to work. The uh, tongue, you know, tongue for taste, another sensation. Well, the connection between the tongue and the skin is the fact that, you know, skin cells, you know, they, they slough off, they die. That's what ash is. You get that white skin and that, you know, dry skin, that's ash. Well, the same thing happens to your tongue. Those receptors on the tongue, those taste buds can be regenerated, and so that's why the skin looks like the tongue. And then for the eye, the eye is pretty deep because we know about the eye responsive to wavelengths of energy that exists, but you think about organisms that develop without having our level of communication, they use color for communication. You know, you see chameleon changing colors, dealing with trying to, what, survive in the environment. Chameleon may be crawling on a tree. But think about a, a squid in the ocean. It may change its colors just like that, and then to get away from a predator. So color became very important for what? Communication. So now we, being the original asphalt black folk that existed on the planet, the original human then has a color and a hue that makes us more connected to the universe. Back to what I said when we began, Mother Nature. Cannot neglect that. Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to comment about the uh, uh, awareness of where the ball is going to fall with your eyes closed. Um, you and I agree that the skin is literally like an external brain and that the brain and the cranium and the skin over the body originate from the same embryonic tissue. And so, you know, there are people who have developed the nervous system to such an extent, the inner eye, where they literally can read and see through their skin. They don't have to use literally the first cranial nerve, which is the optic nerve. They don't have to see through the eyeballs. Just their skin being exposed to the environment, they literally can see the entire environment through the skin. So there was one gentleman, a yogi, who literally entertained people by this, that he would go to the hospital and have his head surgically bandaged, his eyes especially, so there's no way he could see through the eye, but yet still he could sit in front of you. And if you open the book as though you were reading it, he literally could put his hand up in front of him and read the book to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think, yeah. So, yeah. uh, just for correction, the optic nerve is the second cranial nerve. The first one's the olfactory nerve. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Second cranial nerve. Okay. Optic nerve. Yeah. And uh, therefore, you know, uh, the general population has not developed these skills yet, even though they're available for all of us. So, mm -hmm. whole concept that. You know, we have this tendency to be able to see without the actual eye or without the actual ear. 
uh, is because the nervous system, as it is tunneling through all of these canals over the body, has the same properties all over. So you have eyes in the skin, you have, you know, ears in the skin, just like you have, you know, ear on the head, ears on the head, and eyes on the head, which I think is very interesting, and more is going to come out on that. So uh, we have a few minutes, uh, and would you like to take some calls? You know, everybody always wants to ask you questions. What sure. do you think? Yeah, okay. If you want to speak to Dr. Moore or myself, if you have questions or comments, please call us at 347-215-9531, And if you're having any special experiences with melanin or you have questions or concerns, please feel free to dial in. So it's time for us to hear from our sponsors. And before we go, though, I just want to remind everybody again, tomorrow is the day for the music for the mind of a scientist on Thursday, the from Friday to Thursday. And also don't forget that uh, the um, Rain Biology Program is having their spring clean where disciplines are going to be taught as to how you can heighten the use of the neurons that you balance, and you want to be able to get these get these distance under your belt, and by practicing them, you actually transform the nervous system and promote it to work at even uh, a greater efficiency and a new level of capability. So you can join us in Jamaica or at springtime at the Vernal Equinox. This is when we're going to launch this, so that by September your harvest time, you will have a fabulous life that you've created. So you're going to plant your seeds, learn your discipline, and then focus on whatever you want and watch and see what happens at harvest time. November, October, November, great things. So, again, you'll hear from our sponsor, and then you can call us, 347 and we're here to answer any questions you may have on pigments, melanology, et cetera. We'll be right back after the sponsor and then on to the telephone. Would you like to be smarter, more at peace in your life? Are you searching for a greater spiritual connection? All of this and much more can be yours by enrolling in Dr. Jewel's Balancing Program. Many participants feel effects from day one, and in no time, you can enjoy the physiological effects equal to eight hours of meditation in as little as 15 minutes a day. To learn more and sign up for Dr. Jewel's Balancing Program, please visit our website, www.thejewelnetwork.net. Well, hi. You're listening to the doctor. Good to be listening to the Melanology Hour with Dr. Jewel and Dr. T. Owens Moore, and we're going to our telephones now. So we have a caller, Dr. Moore, airing code 770. Welcome to the Melanology Hour. Hello. Yes, how yes. are you? Yes, I'm doing okay. Dr. Jewel, how are you? Oh, fine. Thank you. How are you? All right. Uh, my question for you has concerning with the melon. Melanin. Uh, with melanin, 
uh, how does this actually uh, affect the microtubule system as far as it, the microtubule system being, uh, I think I've heard you in past uh, lectures say that the microtubule system uh, helps to regulate energy, uh, especially uh, excessive thermal energy, I believe you were saying, something to that degree. And also, I have a question concerning melanin and uh, immortality. And is melanin a uh, is melanin a polymer that is responsible or has a key component in biological immortality, or you know, uh, ha having a biological body to maintain its existence? Is it a key factor? So that's the point you want to question. go over that. Well, if I go for the first question, you do the second question. All right. But that's a deep question. So the reality is when we say photoactivation or the photoenergy aspect of the cell, melanin becomes the like the cellular gener generator to cause the cell to be activated. So inside the cell, you didn't have these microtubules that are like, if you ever seen a piece of celery and the long stalk of the celery and you have those strips in the celery, those strips in the celery, like the strips are saying they're deep in the cellular architecture. So those strips guide the cells to other cells so that they can communicate and create like a little circuitry. Well, melanin becomes the uh, an active an active component of the cell to ensure that there's activity occurring. So it becomes a photo generator. And everywhere you see melanin in the body, in the brain, in the organs, and now we're talking about on the cellular level, it becomes in the photoactive molecule that assists in microtubule formation. You got the second question. All right. Okay, well, thank you so much, Paula, for your question. And now in regards to immortality, uh, there's a couple of theories out that I've read, but uh, and I'm going to share with you my theory, is that the microtubule system is Dr. Moore says literally um, ensures that the life force energy, that the light is actually able to circulate through the cells and also into all the organelles of the cell necessary to keep up its metabolism. Now, uh, photomicrographs show that the microtubules, unlike the microfilaments, look like a, a coaxial cable so that when you actually make a sagittal section into a microtubule, you'll find that there's even smaller little filaments. And it is postulated that each one of these filaments is fine-tuned. These are proteinaceous, are protein filaments that are fine-tuned to carry a particular wavelength. So what I am uh, theorizing is that what has happened is that because the microtubule system is basically inactive. It is on an automatic programming that with the cells, they use the microtubule system to the extent that their uh, programming allows. But without human consciousness, the microtubule system cannot be fully activated upon full activation. Each one of the fibrils now can fully transport it's designated frequency, which means that if we are aware that there's general, generally seven or eight wavelengths 
in the electromagnetic spectrum as we are able to see it with our level, with our present level of neurologic development from planet Earth, then we have a fibril in the microtubules that will conduct that frequency. And by all of the fibrils and the microtubule itself being surrounded by melanin, the melanin acts literally as a capacitor where it literally will then uh, modulate and temper the amount of that wavelength moving through the microtubule so that too much ultraviolet or too much X-ray or too much gamma ray will not damage the cell because the melanin will then absorb it and then release it as heat. So one of the things that I'm saying is that since everything is made out of light, every cell in our body, we are a light being, we have not been able to capture and utilize the light components of our existence very efficiently because of a chronically underdeveloped nervous system. And so as we are now able to bring a hemi-sync brain into existence where the right and left hemisphere of the brain is now synchronized and then cause further integration of the uh, dendrite of the neurons where we have also circuit, circuit integration, we can now utilize more of the subtle anatomy of the body in a much more constructive way. Once we're able to do that, we will find that we'll be able to utilize and be exposed to more X-ray, more gamma ray, more cosmic rays, and not find them harmful to our tissues. With that capability also comes the capacity to restore and regenerate the cells much more efficiently where we will find that our lifespan will become extended tremendously. So we have cells now that have been removed from human bodies that are still very much alive. The whole community of the body has died, but these cells that literally were extricated from that body are still very much alive and well 70, 80 years later. So therefore, the efficiency of these cells, which we still don't understand how the was activated, but we do know now something known as epigenetics, that states of consciousness do turn on and off particular genes, and we do know that stress, when an individual doesn't feel comfortable in their environment, definitely shuts down a significant portion of genetic activity, that these cells were in a stressful environment, and because they were extricated from that, being in a very simple uh, fully nutritional environment, they've been able to live indefinitely. And so this is what we are as a species on planet Earth learning how to do. How can we exist in this environment peacefully and without the perception of fear and anxiety because once we can accomplish that, then we will naturally extend our lifespan. So this this is where the whole concept of immortality is coming from. Some authors are even uh, speculating that with the brain that is fully developed, 
and obviously a different state of consciousness, that individual will be able to sustain into full viability one body for a hundred thousand years. So it's about training the brain, balancing the brain, and understanding more about the software programs that our nervous system innately carries and how to be able to use them. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for calling. Uh, dear engineer, do we have any more callers? You can call us at 347-215-9531. So, Dr. Moore, what do you have to say now? Uh, crystals. We haven't talked about crystals in the context of these colored structures. Because uh, if you look at sardines or, you know, really shiny uh, fish that circulate in the water and they do it in pools and schools. And, wow, how do they not stay together? How do they synchronize like that? And you see birds also do the same thing, work mm-hmm. in uh, formation. And how do they do that? How do they fly? And you see certain down in the, uh, I guess, neighborhood where you have a lot of pigeons or a lot of birds, and they seem to be hanging around power lines. So it's like a certain energy out there, and crystals become key and critical to guiding some energy out there. So on the level of crystals, uh, I think that's also an important component of channeling energy. I'm not a crystallographer or a master at using crystals, but I know that they're key and critical. And we talked earlier about geometric formations, and crystals have, you know, a certain shape, and they are that way so that they can conduct energy. The pineal gland itself becomes crystallized as we get older. doesn't mean it's becoming non-functioning. It just is becoming crystallized, and it may be something to do with the spiritual connection that the third eye or pineal gland may have as we get older. So the crystals, I think, is also another component with the microtubule system, the melanin, that really heightens our senses to be connected to Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now that's very interesting also because we still are struggling with uh, trying to really understand what a crystal is. Now, in my mind, as Dr. Moore, you know, helping with it, uh, I see crystals as a solidified form of the electromagnetic spectrum. Okay. So I'm having problems with reviewing it like that. Okay, yeah. So that to me I look at it like stored light. Okay. So it's like, you know, a rock salt. Okay. When salt is in its, its most solid form, it's just it's like a rock, it's crystalline, okay, as opposed to uh, when it's finally diluted, then you have it in the form of a, a, a liquid solution such as seawater. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in some of the fairy tales, where you use a magic wand, magic wand is really a crystal. Oh, interesting. How about that? So just something that can be used to alter energy. And that's just the point about how we speak on the melanology hour about us being powerful generators, and we have so much energy bundled up, and like you said, when it's not being used right, it's problematic. You know, you channel the energy in the wrong way, the wrong direction, especially when it's stressed and the wrong thinking, really problematic. And so on the level of education, we have so much dysfunction going on because people are properly about self and who they are, 
I had a chance to speak to uh, Sister Pat Newton last night on the phone, and she oh, said, nice. "Yeah, she sends her love uh, to you and says, uh, uh, Dr. Jewel, she says hello." But she, you know, talks about post-traumatic slave syndrome and the whole issue of our past experience not really being discussed properly, and you know, so people then run from themselves and then they avoid, you know, dealing with reality. Not good. The whole educational system on any level. Okay, if you're Asian, African, European, whatever your ethnicity is, we've been duped by not being taught about the origins in a proper way. Therefore, everything we know beyond the origins becomes confusing to understand. Wow. So put in perspective that the reason why I was raising this uh, and mentioning Dr. Newton's name is the issue of stress, as you just talked about, and people's mindsets. Like, what can we do to stop this? This virus of negative thinking. You know what I mean? We have to, as you do with the brain balancing program, you're going to try to get people to focus on the higher light, the higher elements, to move their brains into another form of consciousness where you're not constantly dwelling on negative things. But the negative energy creates stress. Stress what? Debilitates the cells. The cells don't work. You have then what? Poor health. And that's what you talk about in your books. Yeah. Okay, well... That's so nice that uh, Dr. Newton sends her love. For, uh, those of you who may not know Dr. Newton's work, she's a, a clinical psychiatrist, and she has spent a lot of time in working with post-traumatic stress syndrome and slavery and uh, many of the uh, political social uh, events that have left many people uh, psychologically traumatized. And she's, mm-hmm. uh, she's been doing this for a very long period of time. And part of her work has always been addressing the effects that uh, pathologic behaviors, or should I say pathologic, pathologic environments, project onto the melanin molecule, the melanin biopolymer, which was a real unique observation that we would take into effect that uh, a pathological environment would have a direct effect on melanin. And uh, this was one of the things that she worked with. I don't uh, know what a lot of her conclusions are because, you know, a lot of that is the retrospective uh, study. But uh, what do you know? Do you know anything about that? Uh, the effects of melanin in a uh, pathological environment? Well, um, if you just look at people who are alcoholics, you know, they, they have come dark in their skin color you know, in their appearance. So when you stress out the cell, yeah, melanin becomes overtaxed. And guess what? It doesn't work right. You know, so on the outside of the body, you see that. So people who get Parkinson's disease, you don't know, usually develop that as a teenager or any younger than a teenager. You develop when you get older when those cells are what's stressed and taxed out. So the whole issue of melanin becoming a double-edged sword has kept us and, has, and keeps us looking young and fit. But as it works so hard and if it gets stressed out, it absorbs so much that we didn't have an impact in our health. So uh, drugs, uh, people taking elements in the body, uh, I don't know, even thinking about NutraSweet and just artificial sweetness. Those things put into your body over time may not necessarily be the best because your body's absorbing that. If it's going to have on a label, on a bottle, that says a diet drink and it says if you're pregnant, don't be drinking that stuff. My goodness, what we all anybody drinking it for? 
the light. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and there's a lot of other items that, you know, we, we have just a general consumption in the state. But then, then why is there a label on it that says if you're pregnant, you don't take? Well, yeah, well, I'm very concerned about the GMO. Nobody said anything about the effects of the GMO and uh, melanin yet. Yeah, <laughs> and I yeah think that's, that's pretty deep, yeah. too, because we know about, about blood pressure medicines. You know, for so long, they said, oh, we're all the same and there's no difference in our pharmacological makeup in terms of how drugs impact us. So oh, that's not true. Gonna... Say again? I said, oh, no, no, that's not true. There's a, a profound effect, intense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but for years, all we've been told is that it's the same kind of, uh, what do you call it, uh, effect on everybody, but we know there's different blood pressure medicines that are needed for different ethnic groups. If that uh-huh. is the case for just blood pressure medicines, imagine all the other medications. Exactly. You know, you got this Viagra and this, all these other so-called sexual enhancement uh, drugs that are out there. We don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. People's eyes might start popping up. <laughs> you never know what's going on. So black people might respond or people who are heavily melanated might respond to certain mass marketing of certain drugs much differently. And so the GMOs become the same story. We have no clue. I mean, you deal with these issues on some of your other programs about health, and you also have it in your new book, but the issue of prostate cancer and a woman getting a uterus taken out and all these other things that are happening because of the diets that are triggering these negative mechanisms causing our bodies to fail. You know, if we're eating artificial foods, guess what? You're going to have artificial things happen in your body. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have a really... Uh big problem going on here. Well, you know, we just have a few minutes left, Dr. Moore, so uh, tell us, is there anything you want us to keep in mind until next month? And also, you have any new books that are out or coming out so we can be prepared to uh, definitely post mm-hmm. those. Actually, I like to say on the front end, basically take control of your life. You know, once you take control of that, everything else falls into place. So in terms of me being back next month, that's what I say. Take control of your life. In terms of publications, yes, I actually do have a new book out called The Spiderfly Proverbs. So it's kind of a, you know, different story tale away from the science and the melanin, but it's going into a practical guide for loving relationships. So it's called Spiderfly Proverbs. So it's called The the Spider, say it again? The Spiderfly Proverbs. I uh, have it for uh, distribution, so I'm excited about that. But it's a small copy, a short read, but it's about the woman being a spider and the man being a fly. So we know the fly has what? Wings and a spider has something that can spin a web. It has multiple legs. and So they two insects, but they got to coexist. So one of the Proverbs that I speak about, about 62 of them, I think probably 15, is that if a fly wisely lands on the back of a spider, it can transform into the beauty of a butterfly and create something new and different that you've never seen before. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so how can we get it, Dr. Moore? Well, just say you contact me on Zamani Press. You got my, people have my uh, email address, Zamani Press. Timor at ZamaniPress.com. Let me know, and I'll uh, 
giving information. Okay. All right. Okie dokie. Well, that's another nine um, hour, nine hour for us. And Dr. Moore, as usual, thank you so much. And we look forward to sitting with you next month. And uh, perhaps we can even talk more about the spider and the five uh, proverbs. Okay, I appreciate you. Yeah, and everyone, again, microtubules. Remember, we have geometry that developed the microtubules. So we had probably about mm, somewhere about 60 people who have uh, been looking at the microtubule geometry. And so we're in the last process of uh, uh, assessing how the microtubules have progressed to being exposed this type of fractal geometry. So we're really excited about that, uh, what the results are going to measure out. But again, geometry is the key to everything, even to the melanin biopolymer, which makes it so unique. So love your melanin, steady, 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 become the mind of a scientist, remember tomorrow, music for the mind of a scientist, and we'll be back the last Wednesday of March to share more with you. And everybody, please Contact us more to get the spider and fly proverb. Wonderful. We're excited about that. And I'll be back on Monday with Dr. Jill Balancing Program, and we're going to talk more about re-engineering the brain and increasing your connect tone. And if you know what I've been talking about, the connect tone is the number of neurologic connections in a nervous system. And that's what you want to do. You want to maximize the number of connections between neurons so that you have a vast connect home to match your genome, your DNA connection. So we'll be back in this. The last five, the last Wednesday of March for the Melanology Hour. Thanks again, Dr. Jim. Okay, Bye. www.thejewelnetwork.net If you'd like to reach us, please send an email to info at thejewelnetwork.net.